Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Get in the Mode podcast. Here's a question for everyone here. Can IT and digital be a creative enterprise? Here to respond to that is Neil Goodrich, the Chief Innovation Officer at M. Holland. Neil, welcome to the Get in the Mode podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. That's a good question. I'm excited. I'm, I'm happy to tackle that one. Great. Well, let's start uh, first by uh, you know talking about your background for the benefit of our listeners. Uh, you know what uh, what's your background and how what are sort of your responsibilities at M Holland? Uh, you know, also tell us about the company too. Uh, so I think the short answer is uh, my background is unorthodox. Um, I have a criminal justice degree. I spent a couple of years as a private investigator. Uh, and I spent a long time at one company where I sort of moved around and solved problems from department to department. And then I sort of fired myself and hired my replacement who had real skills to do that job. And then I fell into an ERP project and fell into being a business analyst. And so I woke up one day and I just had this long history of being the, the nexus of solutioning stuff and talking to different parties, departmental folks, right? So I spoke a couple of departmental languages. I spoke warehouse, I spoke accounting, I spoke. And so um, I became sort of this unifying force. And that's sort of, uh, I, I sort of got put into leadership roles where I had more and more resources because it was more and more effective to coordinate those groups. And fast forward and I wake up one day and you're the CIO because like the total stack of folks involved right um operate more effectively when they're all under one roof so uh my background is really as a problem solver and as a translator is how i sort of think of myself less of a technologist and and more of a solutioneer yeah um yeah uh the company itself is um i guess we're more than 60 years old now uh you know, four or five years ago, the, the, the description is pretty easy. We're a, a thermoplastic resin distributor servicing customers of all shapes and sizes with, um, you know, sort of two different flavors. Uh, we have sort of high specification materials and commodity materials. Um, but I think salient to the discussion today, right, we're there, we have a couple of um, new business units that have been things that would not have fit into that model. We have a 3D and digital manufacturing team, right, that we spun out as their own enterprise because we were constraining them. Um, and that's been really cool to see those guys take off and run and really challenge a lot of like, uh, who are we kind of concepts. Yeah. Um, and uh i think the other piece that we've done is um uh sustainability and to see that's traveling the sort of same arc of the the digital manufacturing team they're a little earlier in their journey but uh that's equally cool to see challenging lots of traditional notions in the plastic space right yeah, and uh, it's it's interesting, to, Neil, to hear about the background kind of business analyst side of things. You know, you you said it's sort of like translation, um, so that that's a very interesting background, and I think it lends itself nicely to your innovation office position. 
Now, uh, my next question is, uh, you know, let, let's talk about innovation, right? Why innovation, you know, what is activating innovation in these sort of companies? I mean, you're talking about plastic and resin and what is activating innovation in these sort of companies? You know, obviously on their products for sure, but I'm curious from the digital side, um, you know, what is activating it? Yeah, I think that there's there's a couple of things happening, you know, uh, specific to us, I think, we had a couple of really cool breakthroughs in the last uh, four or five years, right? Where we went out and and based on sort of human-centered design, we found some of those magic moments where we could insert a product that, right, delivered something. And that was a pretty profound experience for the organization and for the product users. Like we built in that example, it was a sales enablement app for uh, our sales team in the field. But it was less about the technology and more about how the technology was built and the screen flow mimicked the conversation flow and the questions that surfaced in those discussions were one click away. And so, right, it was the sort of design um, piece that was what was relevant. That was a transformational moment for us because we realized, right, uh, design matters that could, you know, finding that next spot to how do we how do we be useful beyond what, what it looks like on the surface. So I think we set out on a very long journey to try to turn that into something mechanical and repeatable, right? So we had had a couple of lucky lightning strikes, but it wasn't an organized discipline. And so you say, well, what's that called? Oh, that's called innovation. Oh, we should go figure out how to start doing innovation. And I think that's one of those early misconceptions. Innovation is like a bunch of, you know, uh, uh, people sitting around thinking up crazy ideas in a lab and you're like, no, it's not. It's about idea collection, like collecting the maximum number of ideas and yeah. being rigorous about distilling which ones you're going to experiment on and then being merciless about killing bad idea you know it's like this very regimented process in yeah. fact um and so i think that was our our personal journey to arrive at innovation i also think mm -hmm. in the plastic space mm -hmm. you know uh in particular if you're a distributor i should say in the distributor space right your products are commoditized so there's no differentiation. So you're really competing on experience and value that is not linked to the thing you're selling, right? How can I be more valuable to my customer? And so that in itself forces you to start to examine stuff. So I think as an industry, mm -hmm. distribution industry, there's an innovation push to try to figure out how to be stickier, how to be more valuable with customers and suppliers, right? Because they could always decide I'm going to use this other person to be my sales agent, right? So um, I think that's the external and internal factors happening. Yeah, I, I think that's great. I mean, both I, I like the external factors too in terms of customer demands, what their expectations, their you know, the landscape of their changing expectations, and you know how that is activating. Uh, innovation and you know key differentiators that you guys have to come up with, right? So um, you definitely are 
I mean, I would say companies have to be proactive about this uh, rather than just react to it. But uh, I think uh, that's great to hear M. Holland is kind of, you know, as a company is looking at it proactively. Um, tell us a little bit about the purpose. I mean, when I say purpose, I'm more interested in hearing some of the initiatives at M. Holland. You know, what are some innovation initiatives that you guys are uh, going through uh, perhaps at a high level at the moment? Yeah, I think uh, just to sort of tie the last discussion, this discussion, I think in the plastics industry in particular, because of its age, uh, you're at the tail end of the sort of first generation of, right, if you think about the 60s and 70s when there were real training programs and, right, that generation of folks is retiring, right? that same set of folks who went out and got training and was a sale and then they operate a molding shop their their kids are taking over right and so there's this interesting demographic five years ago you know had we said to our customer base hey here's a customer platform and you could check your own stuff and like re there was not a lot of appetite for that because those folks wanted a phone call and they wanted to um and uh now their kids who are in prominent decision making and leadership roles in those organizations are like why can't i why can't i look at this on my phone why can't i reorder with a single button click and so it's been interesting we've been waiting we've been sort of poised on this fence waiting for the moment for that to flip over um and it's happening at the suppliers too so the large petrochemical companies right that yeah. first generation of folks and so you know, that used to be about uh, connecting and, and, and talking about stuff and maybe golfing and drinks and talking about opportunities over drinks. And now you're showing up and there's not a, a 50 or 55-year-old person in that role. You're talking about a 35-year-old person. And that person is like, no, I don't want to golf with you. Where is your data on how you're performing? And like, that's not a discussion that's been so the experience of that is also shaping the need to evolve. Um, and in light of those answers, right, I think you see us trying to apply that human centered design piece to the supplier relationship, right? So there's somewhere there's a person at um, our suppliers, right? Uh, uh, Exxon or Chevron or Braskem there's a person sitting at a desk somewhere and their job is to manage us as one of their agents. And you start thinking about how do we make that person's job easier, right? right? How do I, how do we make them look better to their organization, their management? How do we become easier people to manage? How do we self-report? How do we, so um, I've taken a lot of those sort of, how do we find the friction point in this person's life? Mm -hmm. Uh, and deliver on that in an interesting, unexpected way. I think that's something we think about. We've never moved far from equally trying to do that for customers, right? Yes, all of the sales order, reorder, like that's all sort of table stakes at this point, it's commoditized. Yeah. Now you're starting to talk about what else are you wrestling with as a, as a buyer in an in a injection molder? Um, what else could we be doing that we're good at that, you know, is not part of the transaction today. So I think there's a lot of exploration in those spaces about 
how do we find, how do we get inside your secret life and figure out ways to be valuable to you? Mm -hmm. um, so those are, I, I say initiatives, but I think those are lots of initiatives, right? Um, yeah. So that's, that's, that's the lion's share of that focus. And then obviously a ton of automation at all shapes and sizes, which sounds very un, unsexy, depending on what you're talking about, right? Hey, let's automate the entry of this bank spreadsheet, which is not making any headlines, but it is saving that person four to six hours a week. And with those four to six hours a week, they could be forward looking, right? And I think about innovation and the space to create. So how do I make time for people to percolate on stuff at their desks, yeah. right? Which is to shrink the amount of time that it takes for them to do all those really boring KTLO activities. And I think automation is the key to buying that time back. So we've got lots of sort of automation efforts ranging from like really cool multi-platform kind of aspirational stuff to nuts and bolts. Let's just get this terrible thing off your desk. Yeah. And you know, another Part of automation is perhaps uh, a play in data, right? Um, data is the new oil, right? Um, definitely there's potential to do some AI type work through machine learning to be more intelligent about how you guys operate, how you sell, all of that. Yep. I think that there's a there's definitely an eye towards climbing the maturity of the automation, right? You know, writing a couple RPA bots versus bundling them with machine learning and AI that does something and is making decisions and rat like that's further up there. We're not there yet, yeah. but I think our yeah. eye is towards that summit. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you you got to set up for that success. Yeah. Uh, now let's talk. Uh, take a step back um, from the initiatives, kind of to you know your team, right? Uh, when you establish innovation um, as sort of like a discipline or a practice, how do you go about doing that? What sort of successes have you seen? Um, you know, perhaps even challenges too. Yeah, I, I uh, man, that's a big question. That's like, how, you know, how much time do you have? Uh, uh, <laughs> I think it's it's very circumstantial. This is definitely an area where like, you know, advice, you gotta be careful about cherry picking pieces and parts of the advice. So like, I would say a couple of things. Okay. Um, there's likely innovation happening in your organization and no one thinks about it as innovation, right? So when we, when one of my peers said, we should have a 3D team and he survived, you know, 12 months of like pushback and what are we doing? And right. Um, that was a form of innovation, particularly if you really look at there was one person and then we tried a hypothesis and then it worked and we hired another and we incrementally. Oh, that's sort of, that sounds like stage gate funding. Oh, wait, it was really successful and we spun them out. Like, so it's sort of the full arc. Right. So I think if you can find things that your company is already doing and you can say, Hey, that's innovation. That's a form of innovation and you can make it real for people, right? You got to get it out of the esoteric, out of the clouds into what are we talking about? Well, you're talking mm -hmm. about a way to collect ideas 
test them and, you know, select some of them to fool around with, right? And um, make a decision about and then either keep doing it, right? So you're talking about like, so I think the idea that you, you make it as pragmatic as possible, because sure. I think if you start waving your hands around talking about philosophy that you people fall off the cliff. Um, so I think, you know, tying it back to something that people already know so that you can build on to something is a is a major win. Um, and I think uh, start if you're the person who's really versed in innovation, if you're the person that's done all the reading and the, it's going to be easy, like any topic, um, you could. I think about every math teacher I ever had who knew a lot about math. And when they explain it to you, they are explaining it with the full breadth of their vocabulary and you're totally overwhelmed. And so I think when you bring that first pass of innovation, it's going to seem so simplistic to you as the well-versed party. You're going to sure. be like, this is ridiculous. This is yeah. borderline insulting. And it's not because yeah those people are at stage one of that journey, right? Yeah. And you've got to bring them along. <laughs> last year, that's personal experience talking. Last year, I drew a diagram. I don't have it at hand. It probably had like 24 boxes on it. We're like all these different kinds of innovation programs that service different audiences and gave birth to different kinds of ideas. And uh, it probably took me 20 minutes to explain the diagram before I started talking about the content, right? Mm -hmm. And I lost every single audience, my peers <laughs> at the leadership team, you know, like the, the mid managers, like people tuned out. The diagram that ultimately made everyone say, oh yeah, we should do that, was a green box and a blue box a blue and a yellow box, excuse me, that were overlapped. And there was a green piece in the middle where the two colors overlapped and everyone was like, oh. And so that was where we started that journey. And now that we've done that, so we put in place two programs, mm -hmm. a way for internal employees to participate and an external force who's doing stuff. People started to say, oh, I see how this program could eventually extend to do this future, right? right. Mm-hmm. Okay. I had all those future boxes drawn on the big diagram, but they weren't there yet, but you know, the baby step of that. And so I, I think if your job is to try to bring that to the organization, go get educated and then peel it way back and parcel it out, right? One bite at a time for folks. Yeah. I don't know if that was what you were after with that answer, but that's like near and dear no, to my I, heart because I, I fell down last year. No, I think that's that's a great story in terms of the challenges. You know, when we think of innovation, we think of something groundbreaking or disruptive. And often some of those small wins gets people in the mind of practicing a discipline, which is kind of going back to our previous question, yeah. right? And establishing that, that these things are doable within the organization, right? So I think... Um, it, it speaks to that, right, um, from an example standpoint. Um, yeah, I, I think one of the early things we did, by the way, to that whole point was settle on a definition for innovation because right. there's a million of them. And what we said was innovation 
is the the delivery of value from new ideas right so that sets the stage for it can be this big it could be disruptive it could be a mid right and i think that's yeah. important to set that table that you don't have to have the next uber idea right that's in right. order to like contribute yeah i mean i i think things start small unless you have that practice and the discipline going you know as a company you know how are you going to accomplish big innovation initiatives right i mean you have to start small i mean like you said you know earlier you mentioned fail fast right kill ideas fat you know sooner than go down a path um so i i think all of these are disciplines that you can practice um which in turn produces outcomes now speaking of outcomes right um do you guys have metrics on how you successfully track these outcomes or what you know a lot of times innovation leaders kind of get into this mindset like okay now i need to come up with this next you know multimillion dollar idea and they don't have a way to show those small wins right uh, what are your thoughts on showing progress and outcomes on those innovation initiatives so uh i think first i think the answer is going to be sort of anticlimactic so i think the the shortest answer is we're not there yet um the a little more nuanced answer is you know when we, the thing that we can track and we are doing is the automation piece and so the ability to show sort of hours saved uh, because you can do, you can you can do hours saved or you could translate that to dollars and yeah. it's sort of black and white and it allowed you to capture the two hour savings or the 47 hour savings the unit of measure is sort of crisp and so i think that was cool because when you talk about forming new habits it has to be easy to do and achievable right so you're like we're just gonna do this thing because it's easy to get your hands on right it's not i don't have to imagine what's the potential size of this imaginary new market for this new service and like that's hard and people can argue and you're like i'm just going to count the hours and that's going to build that's the reps that it's going to build the muscle yeah. to say hey what's the return on this thing hey what's the return on this thing because that's the muscle that you're after um so and we'll figure out the next step when we get there yeah yeah that makes sense uh now advice for other business leaders or executives who may hesitate to even exercise this muscle that you're talking about of digital and innovation what would be a recommendation i think attempting to you know we have a um the team that i lead has sort of a uh in the last eight years have a history of sort of a guerrilla warfare on new concepts and so um i remember we, we went to the organization and we said hey we should have a project management office like wouldn't it be cool to have a bunch of project managers in the organization there was no project manager mm -hmm. had never been a project management discipline so the organization didn't get it right and they were like ah, i don't think we need that really it was sort of the response and so instead we hired a project manager and we started to deploy her across the organization so people got to experience 
a project and how much easier it was when there was a project manager and the organization experienced, oh, those projects end a little crisper. There's not a long tail, which is not dissimilar from the prototype cut, right? How much more powerful is a clickable prototype than me describing to you what the yep. screen? And so what we have this history of is sort of um, show, don't tell. Yeah. And so I didn't need to call it a PMO. We just hired a project manager and we were like, hey, should we have more project managers? Yeah, yeah. So you know what we have today? We have a team of project managers and it's called the planning and delivery team. It's not called the PMO, right? And so I think yeah. putting the label on it would be my first advice to avoid, right? Got it. Selling, saying, hey, we should have an innovation program. Brr, like, don't do that. Yeah. Figure out what the program is. Hey, we should have a thing where every quarter we get employees together and we challenge them with an open challenge. And like we advance, like that's a pragmatic thing that somebody can get their hands around. And later, once people have experienced that and the organization likes it and what it does to the culture and the creativity, you can say, that, that's innovation. Like that's a yeah. innovation. Right. <laughs> so I think go build, you know, black and white programs that people can understand and then, you know, pull the curtain back and say secretly, ha ha ha, you know, you've all been tricked into my innovation um, master plan. Um, and I think the other part of that is, you know, within your domain, try to find a way to make time to tinker, right? If you're the, if you have the technology team, be talking to those architects, to those deep experts, find out what they're reading about on the weekends and try to carve out a couple hours a week so those folks can fool around with something because when they make an applicable discovery and you can say to the organization, hey, check this out, that will also be a way of explaining what innovation is, right? Same concept, sort of a different way, different pragmatic, but that you don't have to broadcast to because it's in with your, your domain of control, right? Where you just sort of craft a space for those folks to go fool around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Quick rapid fire questions. Um, what's the music that's on repeat or in the last one week on your Spotify or whatever music streaming you listen to? Uh, run the jewels, run the jewels. <laughs> All right. Um, they they had a brand new album that came out last year in the middle of the pandemic and they gave it away given all the uh, social unrest. It was awesome. Okay. Um, what's been a book that you've read in the last six months that kind of changed the way you'd think? Uh, how, it's right here on my, I'm looking over here because it's right here. How Emotions Are Made. And it was a really dense scientific book about uh, the fact that our brain tells us what emotions we're experiencing, that the emotions aren't inherent in us, which sort of blows your mind because your brain is constantly constructing. Right. And it's guessing. It's guessing. Like, I think you feel nervous, but you could be wrong. Right. So that was pretty, pretty cool. Okay. Well, Neil, it's been a pleasure chatting with you on this podcast. Uh, thanks for coming on our uh, show. Thanks. Thanks for having me.